my name is Saw, and I will be reading God's word for us today out of Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 14. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quietly, quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels a week, he replied. He told them, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who love money heard all this and were staring at Jesus. Good morning, church. Good morning, BP campus. Good morning to St. Paul campus. I am preaching to both of you this morning because both Pastor Kong and I are out of town. We are in Spokane, Washington at the CMA General Council, the big annual gathering of all pastors and missionaries and ministers in the Alliance. And, and so we're out there, which means I recorded this earlier in the week to share with you our final week of the Jesus Talks Money series. So, we, in this final week, we tackle one of Jesus' most difficult parables. I mean, come on, were any of you confused with what you just heard? I bet, I certainly was. It, like, did Jesus really just commend a dishonest person? What are we to make of all of this? Well, if you're ready to check out, don't give up yet. Stick with me here because the Holy Spirit and I are here to help you through this passage and hopefully be able to unlock the amazing gift that Jesus has for you in this teaching. So don't give up, stick with us here. So why is this parable so confusing? Let me give you three reasons why. First, this parable is not meant to be imitated. This parable is not meant to be imitated. See, in Jesus' parables, there's usually a character that we should imitate and one we shouldn't. These characters often get portrayed as faithful and unfaithful, wise, unwise, merciful, unmerciful, uh, righteous, or wicked. 
And, and honestly, in this parable, there's only a rich man and a dishonest manager. And neither of them seem particularly godly. So what are we supposed to do with this parable? See, this parable is not meant to be imitated. Instead, it serves as an illustration of contrast. And it contrasts people of the world and people of the light. More on that later. Second, another reason why this, uh, this parable can be confusing is the character prototypes here are different than what we've seen before. The character prototypes are different than what we're used to seeing. So this might be the most difficult part. You see, in this series, we've looked at plenty of wealthy man and servant parables. And in every one, the wealthy man represented Jesus or God, and the servant represented us, the wealthy man and the servant. But in this case, that's not the situation. That's not the parable. So we have no evidence to indicate that the rich man is supposed to represent Jesus or God. And the managers, he's described as wasteful and dishonest, so we're certainly not supposed to model ourselves after him. And so if, if, we're, who, if we're not supposed to be wasteful and dishonest, who are we supposed to be? And so it just doesn't make sense. Third, the third reason why this parable is confusing is Jesus appears to praise dishonesty. See, even the moral of this story isn't clear. Is Jesus pra pra praising a manager who, out of his own self-interest, cheats his boss out of money so that he can make friends? I mean, is that really what Jesus is praising? So if you're a little confused at this point, that's okay. Uh, you have very good reason to be. But God's Word is always useful, and the Holy Spirit reveals. So let's not be scared by a little confusion. God's got us here. So let's talk about the passage. So here's a summary of the three main things that Jesus is trying to communicate with this passage. So first, here's an example of a non-Christian who's very smart about his use of position, influence, and money to secure a future for himself. Why shouldn't Christians use their position, influence, and money to secure a future for themselves and others in heaven? And then, then Jesus goes on to talk about that God gives you, and he gives me, position, influence, and money so that we could use it wisely for his kingdom. And when we're trustworthy with it, God gives us more. And then lastly, he says, when it comes to money, there's the world's way and there's God's way. You can only do one. You can't do both. Now, does it make a little bit more sense? Hopefully, hopefully it does. So let's dive into the text and see some of these themes spelled out a little bit more. And so in this parable, in this passage, he begins with a parable, and then he goes to a lesson that's direct from the parable, and then Jesus goes to a big picture principle. So let's start with the parable. So a bad manager, he is a bad manager, he's about to get fired, and so he concocts this, 
he concocts this plan. He's going to cut the debt of his boss's uh, uh, debtors in order to make friends and take care of his future, particularly hoping to have a place to live when he gets kicked out of his boss's house. So he goes to all the people who owe his master money and he cuts the debt. Which, by the way, this is an excellent way to make friends, is cutting the money people owe. I'm telling you, if Wells Fargo came and said to me that I'll cut half your debt, they would be my best friends. I would go straight up to Mr. Fargo. We would go have bubble tea, maybe even take a ride in his stagecoach. We would be BFFs immediately. So cutting debt is a great way to make friends. So this manager, but the reality is this manager was cheating his boss out of money without even really telling him. And he was doing it so he could gain friends. He could gain favors. And because someday soon, when he was unemployed, he'd, he'd be able to call in those favors. And then, of course, the master eventually found out, but didn't rebuke him. And here's what's kind of surprising about this parable is he actually praised him, even though he still called him dishonest. He actually praised him for being shrewd. Now, what is shrewd? So if you were like me when I first took a look at this passage, I picture shrewd as a bad thing, that it's not exactly a compliment. But the truth is it is. So here's a good definition of shrewd that reflects exactly what the, the manager was doing. And, so, and this is thanks to ChatGPT. To be shrewd means to be astute, sharp-witted, and perceptive in practical matters. Shrewd people are adept at assessing situations, calculating risks, and maximizing their own advantages. And that shrewdness is the key to understanding this passage. So next, Jesus moves on to a lesson from the parable. So first he gives an observation, and then he gives a command. First, the observation. He says this, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So the contrast here is people of the world and people of the light. We might think of them as non-Christians and Christians. And here Jesus does something he rarely does. He praises worldly people. And he says, and he praises them not for their dishonesty, but it's for their shrewdness, for being astute, sharp-witted, and perceptive in practical matters. And then he implies this question, why can't Christians be as shrewd as non-Christians? Then he moves to a command, first an observation, then a command. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So now you see the parallel that Jesus is trying to create here. See, the dishonest manager use his position, influence, and money to secure a future for himself here on earth. You too should use your position, influence, and money 
to secure a future for you and others in heaven. There's the parallel. See, he, he elaborates with a theme about money that we've heard before. Continues. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And with these verses, Jesus busts all of our excuses for not being generous. So here's how Christian author Randy Alcorn describes it in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Jesus implies that all of us are being continually tested in little things. This principle invalidates all of our if-onlys, such as, if only I made more money, I'd help the poor. Or, if only I had a million dollars, then I'd give it to my church or missions. If I'm dishonest or selfish in my use of a few dollars, I would be dishonest and selfish in my use of a million dollars. The issue is not what I would do with a million dollars if I had it, but what am I doing with the 100,000, 10,000, 1,000, 100, or $10 I do have? Stewardship starts small with a little or a lot that you have right now. Stewardship is not a future thing. It's a present thing with what you have right now. Now, Jesus closes with a big picture idea, including one of his most famous statements about money. Here it is. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this might feel like it comes out of the blue, but it actually connects directly with what he was just talking about. So how does this connect? Well, let me give you two different ways this connects to the parable and then his, his short teaching. Here it is. So first, it's a warning against thinking that we're supposed to act like the world when it comes to money. It's a warning to think in case we think we're supposed to act like the dishonest manager. Remember, this parable is not meant to be imitated. The manager with his lying and manipulation and self-interest, he is driven by himself. He was serving himself and his money. That's the way of the world. The world says... Serve yourself with your position, influence, and money. Now, in contrast, people of the light, Jesus' followers, are meant to be different. We are meant to serve God first, with everything else coming in second. We are meant to serve God first. That is the way of the people of the light. Now, the second connection, the second connection is found in the little word money. Now, this is an Aramaic word 
uh, pronounced mammon. Now, some of you might recognize that if you went, if you grew up at a church that read the King James Version. That's how the word money is translated. And this word is used three times at the end of this passage. Use worldly wealth to gain friends. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, and you cannot serve both God and money. Now, these seem contradictory. So, are we supposed to use money or not serve money? But they're actually not contradictory if you look at the verbs in these three phrases. So, the difference, you see, the difference is who controls whom. The first says, use worldly wealth. The second says, handle worldly wealth. In both of those cases, the money serves you. You are the one in control of the money. You use it. You handle it. But the alternative in the third instance is that you serve the money. That the money actually controls you. And that's what Jesus is preaching against. See, rather than controlling wealth, wealth is controlling you. And instead of being the master of your finances, you become its slave. That's what Jesus is teaching against here. So, let's bring this home. Now, this message is a parable that if you are a Christian, you should use whatever position influence and money that you have for God's purposes and God's kingdom. In fact, you should be shrewd. Remember, astute, sharp-witted, and, and, and perceptive in practical matters with your money. Jesus is commending shrewdness and wisdom with money. Now, when it comes to position, influence, and money, all of that that God has given to you, are you smart in the way that you use it? Are you strategic? Are you generous? Or are you lazy? Are you careless with it? Are you selfish with it? What do you do with the position, influence, and money God has given you? Are you utilizing money as a tool for the kingdom of God? Or have you become the tool for your money to earn more of it, to save more of it, to spend more of it? Is money your tool or are you money's tool? Are you making money decisions with heaven in mind or earth in mind? What future are you trying to secure for yourself? An earthly future or a heavenly future? You cannot serve two masters. As John Calvin, the famous reformer of the 1500s wrote, where riches hold dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. So what really has dominion in your heart? God or money?
Let me pray. God, you have given us a tremendous challenge. And especially in the world we live in now, where everything about it is saying, get more money, spend more money, keep more money. Money is security. Money is fun. Money is worth. God, we just recognize those are all lies of the people of this world. It is the ways of this world. Lord, we want to be people of the light. We want to follow the way, the way of the light. Help us, Lord. So help us see where we are trying to serve two masters. Open our eyes to see how we are lazy or selfish with our money and the other gifts you've given us. God, help us know what to do even this next week so that we can use your money for your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to give you a chance to reflect a little bit on this. And in fact, I want to challenge you. I've got three challenges for you for this next week. And I want you to pick one of them. I've got three challenges. I want you to pick one of them to do this week, depending on what you're hearing from the Holy Spirit today, depending on what part of today's message really hit home and is sort of burrowing into your heart. Okay, so I've got three challenges. Your job is to pick one of them. Then I'm going to give you a couple minutes to think about it, to pray about it, to write about it, and really lock into that challenge and commit to that for this next week. So the first I'm calling is the Give Challenge. Give more generously this week. Quite simply, give more generously. However generous you are today, I want you to give more generously this next week. Specifically, give to people in need. Give to situations that build God's love into God's kingdom. Or give to causes that align with God's values. So give more generously this week. There's your give challenge. Okay, challenge number two is the priority challenge. This one is reassess your priorities. If money, or anything else for that matter, if that's taking a central place in your life, I want you to spend this week to reassess and reprioritize. Make a conscious effort to reorient and prioritize God this week. So that's the priority challenge. You've got the give challenge and the priority challenge. Next up is the trust challenge. Trust God more deeply. So if you're feeling a lot of anxiety and worry about money in this season of your life, take, take steps to trust God more. Believing that if you seek His kingdom first, He will take care of your needs. So that's the trust challenge. So what's it going to be this week? A give challenge, priority challenge, or a trust challenge? I'm going to give you a couple minutes 
to think on those. Go ahead. So, are you up for the challenge? Let's become more generous, more trusting, and making God more of a priority in our lives together. Thanks, church.